0: Good morning, my name is Philip, and I'll be doing the second Bible reading, and it is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, Bring them up in the training and in instruction of the Lord. Amen, and may God add his blessing to this word. Thank you, Philip, uh, for reading the scriptures. Do keep your Bibles open to the book of Proverbs. We'll spend most of our time in the book of Proverbs, and, and weren't those wise words of wisdom from Ian. Uh, but let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we think about parenting, help us to see the great blessing and privilege it is uh, for those of us who are parents, give us your wisdom as we disciple and train and raise up those little ones in our church in the instructions of the Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us do that as we reflect um, on this topic from the book of Proverbs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are considering the topic of intentional parenting. And I do need to say that I do not speak as a parent who has it all sorted out. Oh boy, have I made many mistakes. And I have made mistakes as a parent. You see, there are many things in life that are quite difficult. But not too much comes to close to the difficulty of parenting well. And those of you who are parents, you will know that all too well. It is not an easy task at all. And I often will find myself praying to God and saying to him, Lord... Help me not to dishonor you as I parent the children you have given me. And so those of us who are parents, we would know that it is a difficult task and how much we need the grace of God as we raise our children. But we do hope, don't we, that our children will model our our character, our, our godliness, our qualities, and hopefully forget our flaws. But we do have to recognize as parents, those of us who are parents, and we've got a new set of parents this week, what an awesome blessing and privilege it is to be given by God the responsibility of, of giving life to and to bring up children in the faith. A responsibility that we as parents cannot neglect nor delegate, but it must be done by us. Now, of course, many of you who are listening to this are not parents. And so what is this talk? How is it going to be helpful for you? Well, I know for some listening in, you might have that desire to be a parent, but unable to have children because of infertility or for whatever reason. Now, I need to acknowledge that, of course, that comes with its own pain and frustration and difficulty. And I don't want to make any glee comments at this moment, but for you, and if that is you, do come to God with your pain and your frustration. Do allow those around you to walk with you in that pain. But do find in Jesus that hope and comfort that can only come from him. And of course, for those of us who are single, parenting may be uh, or may not be a reality in the future. But the principles we'll be looking at today are good for all of us, not only for parents. Because, you see, all of us, we are in relationship in one way or another. We may be an auntie or uncle with nephews and nieces. I'm reminded of the story of John Stott, who himself was a single man for his entire life. Never had any children of his own, but lived such an effective and influential life. Not as a parent, but like a parent, he said this. He said, Hundreds of adopted nephews and nieces all over the world who call me Uncle John. And these affectionate relationships greatly lessen, even if they do not altogether deaden occasional pangs of loneliness. And of course, for those of us who are grandparents, There's a very special place that grandparents play in the life of grandchildren. There are words that you can say and express that are often hard for parents to say. But today the topic is intentional parenting. And we'll consider this topic uh, in three points. The, The first one is we parent for faith. The second one is we parent for wisdom. And the third one is we parent for godliness. And of course they're all related. First, we parent for faith. And I begin here because we must be thinking, what is the most important thing in the life of a child? Since the very first breath of that child's life, what is the most important thing? Well, we have to be thinking about eternity. And so we parent for faith. You see, there will be enough time as a parent to think about nappy changes and schooling and musical instruments and sporting events and and the thousands of events and responsibilities that will consume a parent's life. But I'm thinking about eternity first. Prepare for eternity, just like what Ian suggested. I remember having this conversation with Yvonne before any children came along. And I asked Yvonne... What if the, the children we have, they grow up and, and they end up not being very bright or successful? Will you be disappointed? Well, we had this discussion and, and where this discussion ended up was, well, whether our child or our children end up being bright or not, successful or a failure, whether they end up getting married or staying single, Whatever may happen, whatever turns out in their life, what is most important for them and has to be most important for them is that they walk with Jesus. They believe in Jesus. You see, the joy of having our loved ones stand beside us before the throne of Jesus Christ for all eternity, nothing comes close to that. That outweighs everything else. And so we parent for faith. And the best way we parent for faith, just like what Ian has already suggested, the best way we parent for faith is to model faith. Our children will see how we trust God, how we depend upon him, how we turn to him in our times of need, how we find forgiveness and assurance in God, how we find hope and salvation in times of difficulties and sadness and pain, how we learn and live that life of faith and trust in God and our children will see that. And here in Proverbs chapter 3, we get to listen in on this conversation between the father and his son, teaching his son. And we see this picture, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, For they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. And what's this teaching from father to son? Well, it was our memory verse only a couple of months ago. In verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. I mean, isn't that the heart of parenting, to shepherd a child's heart so that they will grow up knowing that there is a father in heaven who loves them and cherishes them. And so trust in him entrust your life to him. Lean upon him, my child. You see, don't trust in yourself. My son, my daughter, don't lean on yourself. Don't think you have to have all things sorted out by yourself. But lean upon God. Turn to him for wisdom, for guidance, for hope. And why? Why is that an important lesson for parents? Well, you see, as comforting as it may be to... Try to live that life like a helicopter parent. Do you, do you know what I mean? You know The helicopter parent who always circles around their kids, protecting them, guiding them, supporting them, just circling around them, trying to make sure that they live a protected life. The reality is that we as parents are limited. Limited in our powers, in our wisdom, in our guidance. Of course we'll want to be there for our children. But what if we're not? What if we're not around when they start prep and they're bullied by someone at school? What if we're not around when their friends turn upon them? Or what if we're not around when later on their, their hearts are broken by that clown of a boyfriend? Or what if we're not around when they're overseas studying and working? But if they learn from a young age to lean upon God from the youngest of age, then they'll live knowing that they have a Father in heaven who will always be with them, a Saviour who will never abandon them. And there is there a stability and assurance that the best of parents can never provide. And so we have said in our own household, we've said to our children, you can always speak to us for, about anything and come to us for anything. And we've made it clear, of course, we want to express our love to them. We would give up our lives for you in an instant, without a second thought. You need a kidney, we'll give it to you. We'll love you, we'll support you, but we will not always be there. A few months ago, one of my children had this period of sadness. So I won't say who. In fact, it was quite hard to witness as a parent. And naturally, as a father, I wanted to come in, fix it up, sort it out, resolve the problem. And depending on the situation, it may necessarily need to be sometimes. But in this situation, I couldn't come in and fix it. And so we went for a walk. We had a long chat. But it was a helpful opportunity to reinforce this proverb again. Trust in the Lord, my child. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, God is always trustworthy. In life, you'll feel all sorts of disappointments. We cannot avoid disappointments in life, but God will never disappoint you. In life, you'll feel all sorts of pain and hardship, but God will never hurt you. In life, you may even feel abandoned, but God will never abandon you. You see, Jesus is like that friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so we parent for faith. And the promise of God is when in all our ways we acknowledge him, he will make our path straight. You see, God will take care of the path and the outcome. As a father, I want to guarantee what the path is like for my children. I want to guarantee what the outcome will be like, but I can't. But God can. And so trust in him above everything and everyone else. Trust in him. Trust in him above even trusting in yourself. And the reason why we parent for faith is because we are thinking about eternity. We must not be sucked into the ways of our world and our culture in the way we parent. The way this world thinks as best for our children is not best. The better story is this. We give our children the most treasured possession, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We share the gospel story. They have a saviour who bled and died for them. They have a saviour whom they can stake their life upon. And I do wonder at this point, that is the most treasured possession, but I do wonder how many of us parents... We spend so much time making sure their schooling is done well, their musical instruments, their tutorials, their, their sporting activities. But our commitment to them, walking with Jesus, is minimal. And if we're honest, maybe non-existent. Listen to what Tim Chalice says. If you leave your children... Full pockets, but empty souls. You have neglected the most important duty. Of course, you cannot force your children to turn to Christ, but you can teach them the gospel and plead with them to accept it. God calls you to diligently teach and train them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we see that over and over again. Of course, in our church, in the Bible, young Timothy, the pastor, raised up by his grandmother and mother, his grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, in the faith. And of course, again, that flags the importance, those of us with children, the importance of family devotions, spending time together with the Scriptures open, with our hearts open in prayer, speaking about spiritual matters, the matters of God reflecting on the sermons together, talking about life, about the events we see. Uh, I've enjoyed those times we get as a family, and in a sense more often because of lockdown, to spend time as a family in the evenings with the Bible open in prayer, but also just discussing the matters of life, reflecting on what God is doing, what God is doing in our own lives. And so reflecting on marriage and, and suffering, and this week we reflected on death itself. Now, some of you, you do have good patterns and habits of family devotions already. But those of us who don't, it is never too late. Something is better than nothing. And Ian already shared in that little interview, wonderful, wonderful wisdom. Share the gospel story. Share your gospel story and model the gospel story in your life. And so we parent for faith. That's the first point. Second, We also parent for wisdom, which means if we want our children to be wise, we need to be wise ourselves, wise in what we do as a family, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we speak, how we act, how we speak of others, what we watch together, what we do when someone swears, how we think of ourselves, how we think about God what we do when we're angry, what we do when we are under stress, when we're sick, when we're unhappy, when we're disappointed. We need to show wisdom in all those circumstances. And parents, one of the best things we can do for our children in teaching them wisdom, one of the best lessons is to show them what a strong and steadfast marriage looks like. Maintaining and growing a strong marriage is one of the best gifts we can give to our children. Because what we do is we teach them commitment, faithfulness, the shape of the gospel when they hear parents forgive each other and, and ask for forgiveness. It's a picture that will help them prepare for life and how they will relate with faithfulness. Whether they choose to get married or not, they learn from a strong marriage who to choose. But we want our children to grow up wise. And for them to be wise means they need to understand their place in this world in relation to God and to live accordingly. That is wisdom. We have to remember that wisdom is very different to intelligence. We don't want to get that mixed up. You can be the smartest person in the world, the brightest physicist in the world, but have no wisdom at all. No EQ, no, no understanding of wise ways to relate to other people. No wisdom in thinking about yourself, and certainly no wisdom in the matters of God. And so we nurture wisdom. And what I find fascinating as I reflected on the book of Proverbs in preparing for this, what God says is often so countercultural. You see, we live in a society where family life often revolves so much around our children. Children are taught, you know, you can do anything, you can be anything, you can achieve anything. Just believe in yourself. Trust in yourself. Now, of course, there is something good about having a realistic, aspirational level of self-confidence. You don't want to crush a child's spirit But raising a child where they are always right, where you never say no to them, where they think what is best for them is what they decide, where they are elevated to the point where they think the world revolves around them. Just see what will happen in 10 years' time. But look at what Proverbs says, verses 7 to 8. The father speaking to his son, Do not be wise, In your own eyes. That is, don't be wise in your own self estimation or think more highly of yourself than you ought. Instead, what we read, fear the Lord and shun evil. That is, have a right perspective of where you stand before God. And that is where wisdom begins to have that reverent fear of God. And so those of us who are parents, if we allow our children to run rings around us and for them to grow up thinking that they are the center of the world, that is running into trouble. That they think that they can always get what they want and instantly, that is asking for trouble. We don't do them any favors. And so in our household, we've said to our kids, you know what? We love you. But this world does not revolve around you, nor does this family revolve around you and your wants and needs. Our household revolves around God. We have a fear of God. We have a reverent fear of God. And so fear God and wise enough. And we read in Proverbs, we read on in verses 13 to 15. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Now, of course, that is for all of us, isn't it? Whether we're a parent or not. We all need to be seeking out wisdom like that. It is the most precious thing. And what is wisdom? Well, again, wisdom is God's truth applied to life. And the book of Proverbs is filled with it. And so how do we parent our children for wisdom? And of course, if you're a child or teenager listening to this, you need to ask yourself, how wise are you? Well, we parent for wisdom by teaching that there is wisdom in how we speak. In your household, when hurtful words are spoken, foul language... When children chuck tantrums, is that allowed in your household? I mean, look at Proverbs 10. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Do you, do you remember the t- a time in a different generation when, when children, when they... When they Use foul language when they were caught swearing, what would they do back then? They would get the child to wash out his mouth with soap, with a bar of soap. Now, not saying that we need to do that, but it does seem that we are now in a generation where we are far less careless with words. And then we read on in Proverbs, another one Proverbs 29. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And so we parent for wisdom by teaching, be careful with your words. And there's also wisdom in listening and obedience. And so in your household, do you allow disobedience? Do you allow sassy attitudes or rudeness in your household? I mean, consider this proverb, Proverb 12. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. And so let me ask, do we want stupid kids? Our kids in our household, they will never get away with rudeness, especially to their mother, with sassiness, with walking away when they're spoken to, with slamming the door. And we don't also allow in our household self-pity. You just have to get over yourself. No self-pity. And there is to be no sulking in our household. I mean, recently in our family devotion, we read the story of King Ahab who went away sulking and it did not turn out well for him. And so there is wisdom in listening and in obedience. And there's also wisdom with work and wealth. And so in your household, do you allow your children to be irresponsible? We pick up all their mess. We, we do absolutely everything for them so that they will grow up leaving all their responsibilities to someone else. I mean, look at this proverb, Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And so teaching kids to be wise means being responsible, having a good work ethic. That is wisdom. And how we use money as a family, there is also wisdom in that as well. We teach our kids generosity by being generous ourselves. And so look at this proverb. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. And so wisdom with work and wealth. But there's also wisdom in learning patience. Of course, there are plenty in the book of Proverbs. I'm only pointing out a, out a few. But I add this one because we now live in a world where we just want everything instantly you know, instant noodles, instant pasta, microwave this, Instagram or Instagram. I want it now. But we don't teach the goodness of delayed gratification. You want that? Well, you have to save up for it. And we wonder why there is now a generation growing up feeling entitled. Now, of course, it's not as though when we parent for wisdom, we just pull out a proverb and recite it, and that is it. No. The best way we teach wisdom is to model it. We model wisdom by being wise ourselves, by living such a life where we show the fear of the Lord, where we know that our every word, our every step, our every action is before the gazing eyes of our God, our Father in heaven. And when we parent well for wisdom, what we have done is a magnificent thing. Because when we parent well for wisdom and our children grow up wise, what we have done is we have placed, in a sense, a safety net around our children as they grow up. That's why the father in Proverbs says to his son in chapter 4, he says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. And so parents, we parent for wisdom by being wise. And finally, we parent for godliness. And again, unless we ourselves live godly lives, they will never learn. I'll say, well, I don't need to be honest. I can see my dad, he lies sometimes. Why should I care for my sister? I can see my mom, she doesn't really care for her sister. You see, parenting for godliness is not easy because it requires a crucial element that is not just modeling but it is discipline that is the crucial element in training for godliness and discipline takes years and years of perseverance and persistence it is saying over and over again no you cannot do that no, you cannot have that. No, you cannot be that. You know, you cannot act that way because of these reasons. It is saying those things over and over and over again. It is so hard, you see. It's often so easy to just give in, to just ignore it, to just turn a blind eye and let it be. And it is particularly hard when they are young and cute to discipline until one day they're not. You see, once upon a time, my kids were cute as well, but not anymore. But you see, discipline is a bit like farming. It is years of work when you sow seeds. You can't expect to see fruits the very next day. It comes much, much later. And so it is with the harvest of righteousness that will be produced in those who are trained by discipline. And so we see in Proverbs... Twenty-two. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Or the one who would not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, of course, discipline must not be uncontrolled anger. That's not what we're talking about. We must not exasperate our children, but discipline is loving, thoughtful, considered character building and that's the way we are to think about discipline it was an important lesson i learned discipline for character not for performance discipline for godliness not for achievements and so we don't discipline for performance you know the child comes home with the exam results and, and they get 95 percent, and we say where's the five percent you know, A, A stands for average. you got an A, that's just average. It needs to be an A+. Plus. you got a B, well, that's below average. What, you got a C? Now you can't have dinner. You've got a D, you got ad you do not come home. Or oh, you've got a F, find a new family. No, we don't discipline for performance. But instead, we discipline for character, for godliness, for honesty, for truthfulness for gentleness, for, for being able to say sorry and to forgive, for being gracious, for being gentle, for justice, for righteousness, for patience, for kindness, for self-control. We discipline for those things. And of course, our discipline is shaped by the gospel. We always want to make sure that it is shaped by the gospel, where if there is a conflict, there'll be a reconciliation. We always work towards bringing back because that is the shape of the gospel. And so we teach our kids, and we need to teach our kids, you have to learn to say sorry. And sorry what for? You need to be clear. What are you sorry for? And to seek forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness. And the sibling, well, you offer forgiveness because you've been forgiven much more. The conflict is never left unresolved. It's always to bring back and there is to be gospel reconciliation. But also once in a while, we teach grace, but we also teach mercy. There was this time just last year, one of my children, again unnamed, did something that was clearly wrong, so, so silly, and knew he or she, I won't say, he or she knew that he or she was going to be up for some big trouble, some big punishment. And so when I got home, this child knew that he or she will get punished and asked this child to come to my office. And of course, this child was frightened and in tears. But after speaking to Yvonne, we thought, this is an opportunity to teach mercy. And so I said to this child, you know, you deserve to be punished. It was so, so wrong what you did. But I will show you mercy this time. You will not get what you deserve. And of course, this child was relieved. But in discipline, it is to be shaped by the gospel. We teach grace and mercy as well. But you see, if we don't discipline at all, and nothing like that happens, and a child is never once corrected for being rude and disrespectful and sassy and dishonest and selfish, Who is going to put this child into order? The school system, will you trust that? The police? The court system? You see, the Bible tells us it is unloving to not discipline as a parent. And so mums and dads, we need to be wise about this. And of course, children and teenagers, you two listening into this, hopefully you will agree with your parents. We became parents not by democratic vote. It's not like you elected us to be your parents. But it is by the gift of God, with the huge responsibility and privilege to give you not what you want, but what you need. And of course, those of us, all of us, as we reflect on how we were disciplined by our parents, I suspect many of us are very grateful. And so, the three points. We parent for faith. We parent for wisdom, and we parent for godliness. And again, let me admit, it is not easy, and I've made mistakes. But it is a great dignity and privilege we have as parents that we cannot neglect nor delegate to anyone else. You see, in our church, we've got a wonderful crash, kids' church ministry, youth ministry. They do a brilliant job, and we thank God for them. But we do not delegate our parenting to them. They only complement what happens in the household. But however our parenting has been or is, and we as parents, we strive to be perfect parents, but we can never be. And so we need to hear this. And that is, though we are not perfect, we all have the perfect Father in heaven above. Where we fail... God will never fail. And so what do we do with our children? We learn to entrust them to our Father in Heaven, to their Father in Heaven. And so if I've got a child who has gone wayward, well, what do we do? Well, we be like that father of the prodigal son. We entrust our child to God's care. You see, God can care for them better than we can ever do. And I found this quote helpful. Marcy, she said, As much as we want to hold our kids, we have to trust that God's hands are bigger than ours. And so we entrust them to God. And if they've walked away from the faith, we continue to plead to God on their behalf that God in his kindness and mercy and timing will bring them back. We entrust them to God's care or if our child is just plain difficult, even then we need to remember how we parent, we display the character we want reproduced in our child. And we remember that just as God has been so patient with us, we be patient and gentle and we entrust them to God. And in the end, there is a legacy we leave in parenting. The legacy of parenting, of course, we pray with discipline with disciple but the legacy we want to leave is so that they might have a faith that is so robust that they will be walking with jesus to their last breath that they will have a, a wisdom that is so profound that it can only come from god because of our parenting that they will have a godliness that is so beautiful that it has only come from years of disciplining and discipling Wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to leave? I'll end with this story, a story I heard of many years ago and I still find so encouraging as a parent. It's the story of Tom Carson. who was a pastor who served in French Canada. He served there for many decades, no longer around, he's passed away. His son, Don Carson, wrote a memoir about his father. And Don discovered his father's prayer for his children. And his father would pray that his children would love God more than him. And within the last few years of his life, he thanked God that that prayer came true, that the children did love God more. Of course, Don Carson writing this did not believe that to be true. But what a lasting legacy. Isn't that what we want for our children? That their love for our Saviour will be deeper, Than even ours. And I've adapted a prayer that Tom Carson and even Don Carson would pray for their children. And I've adapted that prayer for our children. And perhaps this might be an encouragement to you to pray for yours. And this is the prayer Please grant my children a love for you that goes beyond ours, grant them enough opposition to make them strong. Enough insults to make them choose. Enough hard decisions to make them see that following Jesus brings with it a cost, a cost eminently worth it, but still a cost. Grant them enough hardship that they will always lean and depend upon you. That they will have enough faith so that they will persevere to the very end. And that they will have enough hope so that they will live with the anticipated glory of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege and blessing it is for those of us who are parents in giving us children so that we might disciple and discipline, so that we might raise up in the ways of the Lord. But of course, those of us who are not parents, help us to see that we all have a part to play in the wider church family, to be of good influence and godly influence to all the little ones. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen.